homily for the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, Sunday, August 26, 2018. St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. There's an item I'd like to address before diving into my homily. I would like to share with you an online campaign that I saw earlier this week from a group of lay Catholics using the hashtag sackcloth-and-ashes, which is inspired by the penitent gestures of many people in the scriptures. Now, we feel anger and disgust over the recent revelations that have come out. People have been asking one another, what action can we take to contribute to the healing the church needs? There's no implication that we, the faithful, are specifically at fault here. This is simply coming from a desire not to stand idly by during this time, to look for something that we can do. Well, the group has issued the following statement, quote, We are Catholic, faithful to the magisterium, and disgusted by the abuse of men and women, boys and girls, and the further victimization of bishops who covered up these crimes. We pray for justice for the victims and their families and communities. We believe in the Catholic Church, founded by Christ and sustained by the Eucharist. We are one body in Christ. As such, we invite you to join us in observing a 40-day period of prayer and fasting as an act of reparation to God for these sins. From the Feast of the Queenship of Mary, August 22nd, through the month of September, we will join our sorrow with Our Lady of Sorrows and make daily sacrifices appropriate to our own circumstances for this intention, end of quote. I invite us all to consider this suggestion as a means to ask God for consolation of all victims, justice toward the perpetrators, and a renewal of the Church in the image and likeness of Christ, her Head and Savior. Decide today whom you will serve. That sentence leaps from the page at me. Today's readings are all about conviction, whether it be Joshua's challenge to his countrymen, St. Paul's description of the challenge that husbands and wives face in the marriage bond, or the challenge Jesus poses to his apostles. Are you also going to leave? Conviction is a theme that is always relevant in our lives. The setting of today's first reading is near the end of Joshua's life. No longer is he Moses' youthful right-hand man. The Israelites' long journey through the desert is in the past. Having vanquished their enemies, they are now settled in the Promised Land. But the aging Joshua is uneasy. He wonders if God has won the victory in the hearts of his people. Will the allure of neighboring nations and their false religions steer them off course? Joshua reminded them that the so-called gods of their enemies were powerless to prevent Israel from achieving the mission God gave them. And in a refreshing moment of clarity, the people responded, You're right. Far be it from us to betray our God, who has shown us his favor and protection from our time in Egypt all the way until now. From time to time, this chosen nation stumbled and fell, but in this instance, they made a strong act of faith and conviction. Let's spin this forward to our day. Isn't it crucial for each and every family to say, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, 
period, without doubts or exceptions. Today's second reading contains a beautiful teaching about the nature of the marriage covenant as a participation in divine love. In other words, self-giving and complete. Sadly, many a preacher will move away from it because of the word subordinate, not touching it with a ten-foot pole. Well, let's approach this with honesty and candor. What St. Paul means by being subordinate is to surrender one's own desires ultimately to God, as so as to receive his blessing. Picking on the gentleman for a moment, let's say that a groom is asking himself, what will this woman do for me? I would question whether the man has any business getting married at all. The real question our Lord would have the man ask is something like this. How will I lay down my life for my bride, as Jesus gives of himself, for both her sanctification and my own? What will I do to love the whole person that this woman is, body, mind, and soul, and not just some of her traits or characteristics? Only those criteria will yield fruitful and faithful love and make for a holy vocation. Now, in a sense, today's gospel seems like a sad sequence of events. Jesus had been spending quite some time describing himself as the bread of life, and that we are to feed on him if we will possess eternal life. But now the disgruntled voices in the crowd are coming to the fore. This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus required a decision from them, and many decided to leave. Jesus let them go because he's not an accountant looking only at the numbers. Consistently, unswervingly, Jesus stood by his policy that the whole gospel must be proclaimed, whether the people liked it or not, whether they thronged to hear him or refused to listen, whether they were alienated or attracted. But let's consider something. How many of Christ's followers that day had any idea what they were in for. Was it a worst-case scenario for many of those folks to step aside? What was more important to Jesus, retaining every last spectator in the crowd, or leveling with them from the start? If some of those who first deserted Jesus in Capernaum later prayed about it and had a change of heart, don't you think he would welcome them back with open arms? I'd like to think perhaps many of them did return to him eventually. I submit that St. John doesn't tell us about that, because we are to supply the end of the story, so to speak. We are to ask God to conquer the rebellion that exists in our hearts. Far from a sad sequence of events, Today's gospel gives us one of St. Peter's very finest moments. Is anyone more to be envied than Peter for his statement of faith? It's as though he tells Jesus, I'm not going anywhere. Even if all the rest abandon you, at least there will always be the two of us. What more could Jesus have hoped for from Simon Peter at that moment? As someone I saw had commented, the one who believed in you when no one else believed in you will always come first in your heart. 
I'd like to point out one last thing regarding those who walked away from Jesus in today's gospel. Many nowadays see a correlation between those people and the millions of Catholics in America, baptized as infants, but who have fallen away in adulthood. Few things are more painful to Catholic parents than to see their children lapse in the faith that they themselves hold dear. Fortunately for us, there are two pertinent feast days in the church this coming week, St. Monica on Monday the 27th and St. Augustine on Tuesday the 28th. Augustine became a bishop and one of the early church's most renowned saints. But his early life was often wayward and sinful. His mother Monica prayed unceasingly for her talented but troubled son. She lived to see and share in the joy of Augustine's conversion when he was 33 years of age. Even in the darkest hours, she never gave up hope. Rather than some caricature or a meddlesome killjoy, St. Monica was a pillar of spiritual vigor for her whole family and is a wonderful model of motherly virtue. What did St. Monica do that any of us cannot do? What excuse do we give for not praying for this noble cause? Do we have the hope that God wants our children and grandchildren reconciled to him even more than we do? The Lord hasn't given up on these folks, and neither must we.